Hello, and welcome to another installment of On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. I'm your host, Greg. I'm joined today, as always, by Dominic. How's it going, everyone? If you guys are wondering, wait a minute, it's not Monday. Why am I hearing this on a Thursday? It's Dominic and I actually have lives, and some stuff came up on Sunday when we normally record. So we're, we're rather than not give you any content at all, we decided let's put this off a couple of days so that we can give you the content that, that you guys deserve. So that's why you're getting it now. A few days late, but better late than never, right? Right. So today we'll be discussing the American League and the National League MVP race. We're going to discuss families of baseball, kind of talk about families, you know, father-son duos, how many generations have played, three, four generations, how many do we have? A lot more than you'd actually think, so let's dive into that. As always, we're going to go through our World Series predictions, see if anything that has changed. Then we'll do the standings rundown. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, there's a few people that have come out of the gate since the last uh, episode that we did. So be really surprised to see if they make that final push and get into the playoffs. And then at the very end, we will finish off with a fact about baseball that you guys maybe didn't know and we didn't know. And we thought we'd share that with you. So to start off with this episode, we're going to talk about first the AL MVP race. And it's kind of between two different people. Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Each have pretty impressive stat sheets. Obviously, Vlad leads the majors with 46 home runs. He's got 178 hits. He's batting 321, and he's 119 runs scored. But he only has 15 first-place votes, whereas Shohei Otani has got 44 home runs. He's got 23 stolen base, and from the pitching aspect of it, He's got the eighth best ERA, and he's sitting with 56 first place votes. He was in through August. He was about 90% of the first place votes. And then this month with September, he's dropped down to about 78.8% of the. So obviously he's the front runner, but crazier things have happened. If Vlad possibly gets this triple crown that he's going after, does that change the picture? What do you think? I, man, that's tough. Um, Honestly, even if Vlad gets the triple crown, you know, in any normal year, he would win the MVP, you know, unanimously. But the year that Otani's had both pitching and at the plate, yeah, it it you can't argue against him. You know, he's been dominant on the mound. He's been one of the most dominant players at the plate. You know, it's most valuable player. So I I I don't see how he hasn't been the most valuable player to his team than than Shohei Otani. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's doing stuff that, that Abe Ruth, when that kind of pitching batting combo was going on, he he's putting up numbers that are far superior than obviously it's a different game, different baseball. So I actually kind of was wondering if there was any clear guidelines as to what the MVP criteria was. Is there a certain thing that they have to fall into? And I was actually surprised that came that the there's no clear-cut definition of what most valuable player means it is up to the individual voter to decide who was the most valuable player in each league to his team mvp need not come from a division winner or a playoff qualifier and it says the rules of voting remain the same as they were written in the first ballot which was in 1931 one the actual value of the player on his team that is strength of offense and defense number two number of games played 
Number three, general character, disposition, loyalty, and effort. I really like that one. Yeah. Number four, former winners are eligible. So how many people we've had somebody win it three times, I believe. And then number five, members of the committee may vote more for more than one member of the so kind of wide open when it what that entails. Like I said, with the the general character, disposition and loyalty and effort. That really stuck with me because I really feel that that's something that's like that gentleman's game that we've talked about before in mm-hmm. you know, prior podcasts. That, you know, what kind of person do you want to be, not just only on the field, but off? Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I actually didn't know that that was part of the criteria. And I I really like that it is because I, I think it's something that's that's really overlooked because you want you want to represent the best players in the league, but you want them you know, to be, you know, good representatives of the game and not, you know, bad human beings that are, you know, winning all these awards. And what what he's done for the Asian community and his family and, and friends back home, which is, we've got a few more, you know, weeks to go before any of that's finalized. So, but with 56 first place votes versus Vlad's 15, it, it might come down to it, but it, I think Otani has kind of got this in the lock. Moving on to the National League, there's been some debate on to what that could be. The, the the people in the conversation have been Bryce Harper, Tatis Jr., and Juan Soto. As of right now, Bryce Harper has 33 home runs, 80 RBIs, 93 runs scored, 13 stolen bases. He's sitting with 42 first-place votes. Tatis, 39 home runs, 92 RBIs, 94 runs, and 25 stolen bases. So from a statistical standpoint, he's doing much better than him in those categories, though I believe that Harper's on-base percentage is slightly higher. And then we put Juan Soto into the mix. In just the month of August, since the start of August, he's got an on-base percentage of 459. He's batting 348. He's got eight homers, and that's just over 44 games. Um, he could win another batting title this year, but Trey Turner, I believe, is one point ahead. So, and Soto's only rocking one first place vote in those categories. So, what's your thought on that? Again, this this is tough because I I think you can make an art restarting that. This is tough because I think you can make an argument for both Harper and Tatis. Uh, I know Tatis has been putting up solid numbers all season. Um, and obviously so is Harper, but really over the last couple of weeks, he's really turned his game up and, you know, he's, he's kind of bringing this Phillies team back into contention single-handedly um, with the, with the month that he's had, you know, it's kind of hard to argue against him not getting it, you know, um, kind of just putting the team on his back and, and, you know, putting them on the, on the brink of the playoffs. I, I think it's, yeah, something that's not to be overlooked, and I, I think he could really win this award. Yeah, yeah, he, he definitely seems the front runner, though that it's only a difference of fifteen first base votes. So, depending on what Tatis does in the you know coming the last stretch of this this season, it's possible to see it. And my thought with Tatis is kind of just what he's done to the game this year. He's really yeah. galvanized, especially the youth that watch the game, and really got a lot of people excited about baseball that 
A, haven't been excited in a while, and B, never were excited about baseball, and all of a sudden go, but look at this guy out there. He's just he's just having the greatest time, and you know they're putting spinning clocks around each other's necks, and they're just having the, the best time out there and love the game of baseball. So I think whoever wins these titles, I mean, obviously they've done the best that they can to promote the game of baseball and the best they can for particular efforts on the field and off. Yeah, it, both these guys, really all five of the guys that we've talked about, they're just amazing to watch. You know, it, it it's hard to choose between you know all these guys who who should win the MVP and who shouldn't. Because in all honesty, especially in the AL, both Vlad and Shohei deserve to win the most valuable player award. But unfortunately, you got to pick one of them. So unfortunately, you know someone's gonna you know, not winning an award this year, but I, I really think all these guys deserve it. Yeah, completely. Well, hopefully next uh, time when we record, we will have the winners and announce. We'll just run that over that and see what that final stat sheet on that. So moving on to our second topic of the evening. This got me thinking, thinking about Vladimir Guerrero and all his accomplishments this year. I really thought when we talked about this, at the all-star game break game that we, was really cool that Vladimir Guerrero and his father were both, you know, majorly, you know, fathers and sons that played. So that kind of got me thinking, how many have we had that have been fathers and sons that have played the game of baseball? And since 1903, there have been 238, you heard me correctly, 238 fathers and sons that have been part of Major League Baseball, whether it be in the minor league system or the major league system. but they were drafted to teams and they you know, got paid by Major League Baseball in some way, shape, or form. So 238 of fathers and sons. I was looking at the list and I kept on counting going, there's no way I, I'm still counting. I can't believe this is still going on. <laughs> so the first to ever do it was Jack Bosher and Herm Bosher, and they made that debut in three. The first ever father and son to be play in the same game together were obviously Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. And they did that in 1989 when Ken Griffey Jr. got called up by the Seattle Mariners where his dad was playing. The next to do it, and we had a little bit of a gap for about what 12 years it looks like, was in 2001, Tim Raines and Tim Raines Jr. played as teammates with the Baltimore Orioles. So that got me you know, diving down this rabbit hole of, of <laughs> what other accomplishments that people have had comes up. Cecil Fielder and Prince Fielder are the only fathers and son combinations to each hit 50 or more home runs in any particular season. And so amazing. But to go over a few just notable families that have done this before, obviously you've got the Alomar Sr., Sandy Alomar Sr. with Roberto Alomar and Sandy Alomar Jr., Felipe Alou and Mo, uh, Moses Alou. Then you skip around the Bellingers. You got Clay Bellinger and his son, Cody Bellinger. Clay was a utility player. Cody is obviously an outfielder and first baseman. You've got the Biggios, Craig Biggio and his son, Kevin Biggio. They got the Bichettes, Dante and Bo Bichette. The list goes on and on. You've seen these names throughout baseball. It's just amazing to see Tony Gwynn, Tony Gwynn Jr. Over and over again, these fathers and son teams or players that have played some part of 
major league baseball so some way shape or form so that was really really then we move into well okay fathers and sons how many third generations do we have that number gets a lot smaller so since that inception of that category or that particular stat sheet of what we're looking at there have only been five third generation OB player family we start with the bells it's gus buddy david and mike the boons ray bob brett and aaron the Coleman's, Joe, Joe Jr., and Casey. The Harristons, which is Sammy, Jerry, Johnny, Jerry Jr., and Scott. But obviously, some of these are multiple sons that played in Major of. And then the Schofield Worths, and it's Ducky Schofield and Dick Schofield. And then their great nephew, which is Jason Worth. So, obviously, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So I dug even deeper down this rabbit hole of, of what we were seeing. There is only one, 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 four generation. And it's not necessarily quite done yet, but it's it's plausible that this is happening. And that was with the Boons. In 2017, Jake Boone was selected by the Washington Nationals in the 38th round of the 2017 Major League. He did not sign. In 2020, he did finally sign with the nationals but he has not made it so i wonder why he didn't sign uh, i believe he went on to to college and i believe he played at princeton if i'm not correct gotcha Um, that makes sense so it's one of those you know billy bean aspects of like if you really should have signed and you know taken that money or are you going to go to college and get your education and put that in front while well, you can still play baseball and you, he played baseball with Princeton, but be able to get that education and then go after that dream, having that little bit of education to fall back on when obviously we know that a boy's game and we play it as long as we can before we're told we can't play it anymore. And, right. and you need to have some form of backing up. It's good to see that. But once that ever hits, that'll be amazing to see four generations of baseball fan it's like i can't wait to, to be able to see that yeah I'm, I'm definitely rooting for him to make it to the big leagues because yeah that that would be so cool to see you know four generations of a family you know go through the major leagues and and hopefully have a successful career because that's that's just amazing for for professional baseball to be that embedded in the family it's just it's great yeah, and you know, part of it I was thinking is that maybe in the early 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, you know, maybe it was something of a little bit of a okay, your father does it, it's just what you do. Like your father's a plumber, that's what you just do. But as the game has progressed and the skill sets have obviously gotten harder and harder to accomplish you know, that that number. So moving on, we've talked about it every time. Have your picks for World Series changed? Uh yes. So. I believe last time we talked, I think my picks were the the Rays and the Dodgers. I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to go with the Giants and the White Sox. Okay, Um, so explain that. So the the Giants are just on an incredible roll. They they had a big series recently against the Dodgers. They played well against them. They won the series. They show that they can hang with the Dodgers all season. It's it's just a strong team. They seem to be just, they just seem to be getting better, and I don't know. You you just can't count them out. You know, like the, the the roster on paper doesn't jump out at you, but they 
they just don't quit. And, you know, they play well. They're always in close games. They always seem to come through in big moments to, to win. Um, and I think that's something that's going to carry, carry on with them into the playoffs. Um, the White Sox, I think all, all season they've been the best team in the American League. Um, you know, you can make an argument for the Rays. I just think offensively, they just have too much. Um, I know the the Rays pitching has been good all season, but I think the the White Sox offense is you know there's there's no holes in that lineup. You know, it, it's really just pick your poison, but you know you're taking poison either way. They're they're going to get you. So I, I think over a seven game seven game series, I don't think really any team is going to be able to to sit with the White Sox. As far as the American League go, I'm I'm sticking with that that aspect. I'm uh, it was my pick before, and and I'm kind of I'm going to be on that same boat with you. Their offense is high powered, and they're just hitting the cylinders all at the right time. So I'm going to go with that. As of last time, I was kind of saying that Milwaukee was going to be a, a real plausible aspect to win the National League and win the World Series. And as these last couple of weeks have gone on, I'm, I'm looking at the Dodgers, I'm looking at San Francisco. I really want to see with St. Louis just coming out as hot as they are, red hot fire as they are, that it could could be quite plausible that if you're just hitting right cylinders at all the right time and just that level of hot, I know I said that a whole bunch of times, but when you're hot, you're hot, tangible that, that St. Louis could come out and squeak out these wild card wins and then division wins. When your pitching's good, your batting's good, it makes more sense. So I'm still saying it's going to yeah. be out of the National League Central. I don't think that San Francisco and the Dodgers have enough left in the tank to do that, but they're still hot as well. So we'll see, but I would like to see the National League come out of the NLCS champions come out of it. it yeah, you really surprised me with that pick. I know, I know the Cardinals have been playing well recently, but I don't know. I they're fighting for that wild card spot, but yeah, that, that I've never, never really considered it. But I mean, you do make a good point. You know, it's not so much who's been the best team all throughout the regular season; it's who gets hot at the right time, and that's now. You know, and yeah. they're getting hot at the right time. So I, you make you make good points. I don't know. We've you might seen, be able to convince me. We've seen World Series champions come out of the wild card category. So. Yeah. Lots of them. So moving on to our standings rundown, start with the American League East. Tampa Bay is holding a nice six and a half game lead over the Red Sox with a record of 94 and 59. They are five and five in their last 10. So we'll see. They've got a, a series of the Red Sox coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I believe. So we'll see if that can, that little lead change can happen. But I'm pretty sure that Tampa Bay obviously have already secured their playoff berth. So hopefully the Red Sox can pick up on that. With the American League Central, Chicago White Sox sitting very comfortably, 10 and a half games above Cleveland with a record of 85 and 66. They're also slipping a little bit, four and six in their last 10. But I think they've been playing a lot of their younger guys, giving a lot of bit playing time to see what they can do and to get them ready for that playoff push. So we'll see what happens with that. And obviously, the most comfortable Houston Astros in the American League West sitting eight games above Oakland, a record of 90 and 61. And they're eight and two over their last 10. They haven't had a 
terribly hard schedule over the last 10. So that might just be a little bit of easiness of schedule, swinging the bats correctly. Moving to the National League, we have the Atlanta Braves with only a three-game lead over Philly. And like we talked about earlier, Philly is you know, climbing up those ranks a little bit more. Obviously, we've talked about you know the fact that Bryce Harper is putting these guys on his back. So it'll be interesting next couple, like week and a half, two weeks down the stretch. Milwaukee has obviously secured their playoff berth with a record of 91 and 60. They are nine and a half games ahead of St. Louis. And their record's five and five. I think they're kind of sitting with what the White Sox are doing a little bit, playing some of the younger guys, giving them a little playing times to see if they can, you know, get get experience where it's needed, especially swinging that bat against some good pitchers. And then in the West, we obviously have San Francisco and the Dodgers securing playoff berths. I think San Francisco was the first one to do it uh, a week and a half ago or so. Yep. San Francisco's got a record of 98-53. and The Dodgers are 97-54. Dodgers are 9-1 and one in their last 10, and San Francisco's 7-3, and three, so they're playing good both of them and that's what i think it's even they're putting some of the younger guys out too and they're still winning games so national league is going to be the best i think series to watch throughout the playoffs run um generally i would i generally would never actually say that i'm, I'm an american league guy by heart but this national league race it'll be really interesting and i think some grinder to expect and then moving on to our wild card teams we have the red Sox with a plus two over now the tied Yankee Blue Jays. Red Sox are 87 and 65. They're 7 and 3 in their last 10, and they are leading the Mets right now 10 to 1 in the top of the fifth with a cushion to that game. And then in the National League, we've already said that the Dodgers, regardless if they win their division or not, have claimed the playoff berth um, with their record, but they're 15 and a half games ahead of what we were talking about earlier, St. Louis. St. Louis is 81 and 69, and they're 10 and 0 in last 10. So they are just said hitting this streak that you want to hit this streak right now. This is the time to do it. If, if you're going to play good baseball, September and October is the time to do it. They, they they've come out of nowhere the last couple of weeks. They've just been playing so well. Um, but going back to the American League wild card, I'm I'm really rooting for the Blue Jays to to get that last wild card spot. I, nothing will bring me more joy is the the Yankees missing the playoffs. I, th- I think that's shared by a lot of people. <laughs> you know, I was listening to ESPN last night, and they were, you know, the Blue Jays are just a fun team to watch. Yeah, you know, you know they're just they're a, a whole bunch of grinders, and I know we've talked about this before in previous segments that they're just a bunch of young guys that are just out there having fun, and and that's that's refreshing to see. You see some of these teams, you know, I like. I'm going to call out the Dodgers where your payroll is, you know, half the, the growth export of, of Peru. It's how much they're paying these guys. And yet they just don't seem like they're having that much fun. It's just a, I'm just at work. And then you, you see guys like on the Blue Jays. And the Padres are another example of that, too, where they're just having fun. They're out there playing that game that we all love. Yeah. I mean, when you're out there having fun, you're you're more relaxed. You're You're playing better baseball, you know. I think, I think there's definitely something to be said for it. All right, moving on to our final segment. One of my favorite segments, what we do is that one fact about baseball that 
you didn't know that you just learned to share with the rest of us. So, Dom, go ahead. So, my fact, the youngest player to ever play in a Major League game was a left-handed pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds named Joe Nuxhall, and he was 15 years old when he played for the Reds in 1944. 15. Can you imagine starting a Major League game at 15? Does it say what position he played? Uh, it just says that he was a left-handed pitcher. Okay. So, so I, I don't know if he started the game or came in in relief, but back in those days, most teams didn't really use relief pitchers. So I mean, he must have been just lights out at 15. And then in the 40s, that's, that's still a, you know, that's we're talking modern era baseball. You know, there hasn't been a lot of change the 40s and 50s. So 15-year-old to be pitching like that. I'd like to see that 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 line that he pitched and you know what he was what he was able to accomplish with that. I mean, how many yeah. games or just the one game or? Yeah, the, it doesn't haven't been able to to find that, but it's definitely something that I can probably find. All right, so we'll have to look that up and, and get a little more stat sheet on you guys for for this 15-year-old that was playing for the Reds. So everybody equates. Jackie Robinson as being the first African American to play in the in the major leagues. I'm sorry, but that's actually not the case. Jackie Robinson obviously broke the color barrier in some categories, but he was actually the third African American to play major. The distinction goes to Moses Fleetwood Walker, who signed with the Toledo Blue Stockings in 1883. Jackie Robinson was, like I said, the third to play. In, so. Just, you know, little things that you don't know. Everybody attributes it to Jackie Robinson. And there was guys doing it before and just notoriety and the credit that I think that they deserve. You know, we have these Jackie Robinson days in all these stadiums across the country. And maybe we should talk about having a Moses Fleetwood Walker day for some of the stadiums. Do you think that Jackie Robinson gets all the notoriety just because he played for the Dodgers? I think it's plausible. I think it was a little bit of the media at that point in time had been a little bit more... The transmission of information was a little bit more fluid, so that was something, you know, the pictures in the paper and, and nationwide, whereas in 1883, barely photography to begin with back then, those pictures were mostly drawings or, or sketches depicted something. So at least we have that knowledge and that stat knowledge. He was, was the first. Yeah. Well, that's it for this edition of On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Again, my name is Greg, and I'm today by Dominic. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sport on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for any update. And please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next. As always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.